All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. It's a big day. Uh, still wearing the same shirt as yesterday, but you know, hey, that's besides the point. We are in a new book. Here we are on our fourth wisdom book, uh, poetic book, Ecclesiastes. It's a hard word to spell. It's two C's, one S. I have to always work through this. So, Kevin, as you're typing away. It's harder to say. So, I, I just tell you that because, man, we're making progress. Kevin, you have any idea how many books of the Bible we've actually gone through? Yeah, this is like 26. This is number 26. Kevin, that's actually depressing. We have 66 to total to do. <laughs> they start picking up speed, though. Anyway, look, I have no problem telling you, like, if anybody ever told you, told you, like, reading through the Word of God for two years every single day was easy, they've never done it. Because it's super hard. Like, there are, there are certain weeks that it's like, I love the Word of God. And then there's other days I'm like, I don't want to read this. Anybody ever else gotten like that? Now, let me just say this, Kevin, we always have one, one word that is uh, a picture uh, for the entire book because our goal is 66 books. Now, remember, in Matthew 5, 17, we, we need to maybe go back to this. Jesus says something like this in Matthew 5, 17. It says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So if we're looking in the Torah and the Tanakh, the Old Testament, for where is Christ in this? We would say in the book of Ecclesiastes, Christ is described as one word, and it is eternal. Where do we get that? Well, it's in Ecclesiastes 3. Kevin, if you go to there, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Remember, this is our backdrop. So all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to have this, this verse in mind. And this one, I love this verse. Because here's what's so crazy to me. Atheists, agnostics, uh, other religions, they use Ecclesiastes as like the book to go after. Okay, we can get into that later. But what's so funny is that they use this book. <laughs> and Ecclesiastes 3.11 says they're going to. Look what it says. It says he's made everything appropriate in its time. He has, put, he has also put eternity in their hearts. But man can't discover the work God has done from beginning to end. What this implies is, is that every single person is searching. God has literally put eternity in their heart. So I even love that they go to Ecclesiastes to prove something wrong. Why? Because they're searching. They're searching for, can I just say this, the eternal. And so it says, scripture says he, God has put eternity in our hearts. They're ultimately searching for, for the Messiah, you guys. What I love about this text is, I'm going to get into a little bit, it's going to seem like semantics, so hang in here with me because it's really going to work well with Ecclesiastes 3.11. Okay, uh, on the title, if you go to Ecclesiastes, Kevin, 1.1, 1, 1, it says the words of the teacher. Okay, now the word Ecclesiastes, okay, it means, quote unquote, Preacher. I'm going to walk through a little bit, okay? Here it could mean teacher, okay? Ecclesiastes could mean teacher or preacher. I like what Ray Steadman said the best, though. Now, look, everybody could have different perspectives and, and angles. Ray said, and I, I would agree, he would define it more as searcher. The words of the searcher. Not necessarily the teacher, not necessarily the preacher. And here's a little bit of description of why Ray says this. The searcher is a searching mind which has, has literally looked over all of life, and seen is what is behind the actions of people, people, and that nothing will satisfy. Like, not, nothing's going to satisfy. 
So what you see in the, the book of Ecclesiastes, what are they doing? They're searching. And so I'm not saying I don't think that Solomon, the author, is a teacher. I'm not saying that he's not a preacher. I just really like the perspective of searching. Here's why I want to go with this just a little bit farther, okay? Ecclesia, okay, means assembly or congregation. A lot of people have talked about this, okay? So you have one who's preaching, one who's a gathering assembly. But if you have this word, kohalith, okay, kohalith is, it's a Hebrew word that really means one who gathers. I would even take it so, so far to say one who gathers and searches. And that's really, you guys, what this whole book is about. It's about a guy who's constantly searching. And then if I could, I'd go back to Proverbs. It's a man who's searching. And then what is he doing? He's communicating this search to everybody else. He's communicating this search because from what we can see, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong. Who wrote Proverbs? Solomon. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. Solomon. So you have this wise man. It would be like Kyle as a dad trying to teach something into his son, Jude, because I've gone searching for this process. I'm just one. We always say this. I'm just one step ahead of somebody else in my walk with the Lord. That's it. In the case of my son, I'm just one step ahead. I said, Jude, I've been searching. Here's what I found. And Ecclesiastes 3 says, really what we're searching for, you guys, is eternal life. That's all we're all searching for. And so I think sometimes uh, it, it's comical to me when atheists and agnostics go to try to prove a point. They're really trying to prove a point because <laughs> they're trying to figure it out. And it says, because God's put eternity in their hearts. Every single person across the face of the earth is searching. I love this. And who are they searching for? Well, if it says he's put eternity in the hearts, we can pretty much clearly say Jesus Christ. Uh, let's go to a couple things here. Can you go to Hebrews 13, 8? Again, part of what we do on the first day of the teaching of the book is just to set the tone. We're going to have other teachers come in. They can fill in the gaps. They can support it. They can run with it. And Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Look at this. Today and forever. I love that which means he is our eternal life. I'm going to come back to this whole book end here, but just to kind of give you that backdrop. Now, uh, Solomon, we've already declared, is the writer. I like what John MacArthur does. MacArthur does it uh, really well. I mean, he says a couple of things. One is, it says in verse one, he is the teacher. In verse one is what it says, or the searcher, however you want to identify it. He's the son of David, king in Jerusalem. I don't think there's really any arguments that it's not Solomon. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. Uh, it's kind of interesting. In, in uh, 1 Kings 2 through 11, you don't have to go there, Kevin, but it's really the author's moral odyssey which chronicles Solomon's life. So in those things, then you have Ecclesiastes reflecting on that stuff. Then you also have in uh, just a third, in fact, uh, Kevin, if you go to uh, 12 verse 9, Uh, Ecclesiastes 12.9 says, In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, he explored, and he arranged many proverbs. I mean, just, just even that right there says, he went on a journey, he went searching, he found, he put it together, and in this process, he's just putting down his thoughts. Kind of a cool picture to see a man walk this out. Uh, most would say, and I say time, some people, it doesn't even matter. Some people like to hear this, but when we're talking about the first part of, of Ecclesiastes, probably was written in the latter years 
of Solomon's life. <laughs> He's probably looking back saying, hey, a lot of this just didn't work out for me. <laughs> uh, Rich, how many wives did he have? <laughs> a few too many. <laughs> He's just a, he's a dad, he's a, a father, he's a husband, he's a king, and he's looking back, and MacArthur says it this way. Um, he's probably painting a picture about maybe you shouldn't necessarily invest so much time here. There's something more. That's why I love Mindy's picture of the sunflowers. Maybe nobody else just keep praying through this that it just sink in. Because the way the sunflowers work is that they're focused on the sun. And, 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 and Solomon says, look, nothing under the sun is going to work here. It's all meaningless. It's just, boom, it's gone. So that's kind of a little bit of, and I say a little bit of our, of our backdrop here. Um, let me give you just a little bit more here. I think it's pretty cool, fair to say, Solomon had a reputation for having an extraordinary wisdom. I mean, we've seen this over and over again. In fact, Kevin, can you go to First Kings 2? Verse 6, and then we'll go to verse 9 as well. I mean, just because it says uh, Solomon is the son of David, I mean, I think this is pretty cool. Scripture says this, and it, act according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray head descend to Sheol in peace. Kevin, can you go to verse, go to verse 9? Yeah, so this is David dying in the process, communicating this to his son. So he's recognizing the wisdom and the value that it is. Then if you go to 1 Kings 3, verse 7. 1 Kings 3, verse 7, it says this. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I'm just a youth with no experience in leadership. We're going to go to verse 12 all the way. Verse 8 says, your servant is among your people. You've chosen a people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an obedient heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. He's not feeling worthy to do this. Okay, in verse 10, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. Verse 11, so God said to them, because you've requested this and didn't ask for long life or riches for yourself. I mean, he, not even to be funny, he literally didn't do the genie on the bottle deal. He could have asked for anything, you guys, and he asked for wisdom. Or the, death of your, or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to understand justice. And in verse 12, I will therefore do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. I mean, this is incredible, you guys. Solomon asks for wisdom. So what you have to think through, you, he says there's never going to be anybody like you before. This is a guy who's writing uh, a perspective and God says, oh, by the way, he's the wisest man ever. We should probably listen. Even in Proverbs, as hard as those little golden nuggets were to go through, they came from wisdom. That's what Ecclesiastes does. And he talks about, hey, would you really weigh out your time? Weigh out your perspective, and the perspective has to be eternal. In fact, Solomon's wisdom was so much in First Kings 3, the rest of 3, and in the 4. I mean, he gained notoriety. People came literally from all over. Kings came from all over so that they could hear the songs, they could hear the Proverbs. Solomon's wisdom, just like, it's crazy, just like even Job's wealth, I mean, it passed all the people to even to the east. It's a really neat picture of uh, Solomon. Can you go to, I'm going to wrap this part up and then we'll jump into the verses here. Can you go to uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14? I think this is kind of an interesting perspective, okay? So we've gone through Ecclesiastes and it says, when all of this has been heard, okay, so we're at the end of the book. When all of this is heard, 
The conclusion of the matter is this. This is so important to understand, you guys, because we talk about all of this, quote unquote, meaningless stuff, right? We talk about how everything is meaningless, but yet what I like is, is he still has the perspective of what we need to have. He says, the conclusion of the matter is fear God, keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. And then he closes out in verse 14. And he says, for God will bring every act of judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So Kevin, even though he says things are meaningless, what does he say ultimately? You're still responsible for them, basically. You're still responsible for them. And who are you responsible for them to? To God. So keep in mind, we might talk about it being a breath. We might talk about it vanishing, coming and going. But that doesn't justify you living in an evil lifestyle. Doesn't justify you choosing the way of of the wicked, as we talked about in Proverbs. He says, no, no, no. just because I'm giving you this perspective here on earth doesn't mean you're not accountable for him, which is why you have to keep your eyes on the sun. You have to keep your eyes on the eternal. You guys want to jump in? Anything else with that before we, we begin, Kevin? Does that make sense? Well, it just reinforces even in, I know it's Old Testament, but it's even in the age of grace, yeah. we're still responsible for, it's good. for our actions. And it's funny to me, it's almost like like you do something and nobody knows. He, he knows. It says he'll bring every act of judgment, everything, even including the hidden things. I mean, we were still joking about this. You know, uh, Pastor Gordy and Pastor Fred, they come in to stay at her house and Laura was uh, cleaning up because Ryan Treg was here as well. And Laura, I walked in and she was in the bedroom of Jude, Jude's bedroom. She's on the floor, on her knees, and she's pulling out all this stuff under his bed. It's candy wrappers after candy wrappers after candy wrappers. And it's in a box. So at least, you know, it's kind of like organized. But it's a box full of just some candy wrappers. And like, honestly, it's not that Jude was like trying to hide it, but he was. Why else would you put everything under the bed? Even the candy wrappers under your bed will get busted. When you keep your eyes on the eternal, everything matters. Everything. Everything we say, we do. Remember this? When we talked about how God's going to actually evaluate our words. (laughs) Why aren't you guys laughing? Hmm. That's my point. Like, it's real. I'm not talking about salvation issues here, you guys. I'm not talking about losing your salvation because you accidentally slip up and say something silly. But God is still going to hold us accountable. So having said that, let's go to Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. And... You know, as we unfold this, this, this uh, week, I, I'm excited about Ecclesiastes. It says this, the words of the teacher, son of David, which we know is Solomon. It says, by the way, king in Jerusalem. Kind of a cool picture, you know. Uh, I mean, think about this. You guys remember how long uh, Solomon served as king? David served for 40 years. His son served for 40 years. Time of peace, time of no fighting. Even though he's writing about iron sharpening iron, getting ready. Kind of an interesting picture there. And it says this in verse two, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility. Everything is futile, futile, everything. So, I mean, he says it over and over and over again. This is almost like a Jesus, hey, pay attention line. Absolute futility. Kevin, without even doing a study of this, you see this, what stands out? <laughs> uh, three times he says it's worthless. Three times. Now, there's all kinds of definitions of these words I'm just going to throw out a couple of them, okay? I'm not going to hang out in there. I'm just going to throw out a couple of them. Obviously, you're going to hear the same phrase in other uh, other versions, vanity of vanities. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that before. You might have heard even that word vanity could mean uh, meaningless. 
It could mean breath. It could mean vapor. In other words, what I want you to understand, life is is a vapor. It comes and it goes. It's not really super encouraging, by the way. It is if you have a perspective that it's eternal. And I think that's the key, that it is, even though it's quickly passing, we can be forever with Him. Everything, nah, not everything. Like, come on, I love March Madness. Comes and goes. I can't even tell you who won three years ago. And I love stats. I couldn't even tell you who was in the final four five years ago. Like, my point is, is everything consumes us right then and there. We invest everything of our time into it. But then if you ask me about who won the Sweet 16, you know, in seven years, I don't know. Those people might know. But I think my point is, is whatever we put our stock in, we have a hard time remembering the next day. You know, the day before, like that's truly like, Kevin, if I had to have you describe a week ago without looking at your calendar, literally from seven to nine, you probably have to really process that because everything just comes and goes. It's interesting. uh, Some actually call this a really negative book. Like, why would you want to teach on Ecclesiastes when it says, oh, by the way, your life is meaningless Everything you do, your lunch, your, your work, every, I mean, this says, if I'm reading this right, Kevin, this is, almost takes me back to Revive Indiana days when we said all means all. Everything means what? Everything. Is there any exceptions that's not futile? It doesn't say except anywhere that I see. I, I, I don't want to move past this. Like, I, as I was praying through this earlier, the Lord just said, you hang out here on verse 2. I want us to understand Everything is meaningless. (laughs) So why do we focus on the temporal so much? If everybody is searching according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, if everybody has their focus, why are we not pointing people to the eternal rather than the temporal? Like this is the mentality that we have to shift. You have to have an eternal mindset with temporal feet. Like that's where we have to live. Everything. If you are holding on to something and you don't want to give it up, you're probably saying it's that important. I always say, and this is weird, so because if it ever happens, I'd be like, well, you did something stupid. Like if my house ever burned down, I could care less. Like I don't care of anything that's in there. I don't, I don't care. There's one thing. It's a key from Jerusalem. But guess what? That's pointless even. Like all of those things, like whatever you're holding on to, even like family heirlooms, you guys, that this means something maybe from your grandmother or your great grandfather, or they brought it over from another country. Like all of those things, absolute futility, nothing. It's just worthless. So some people would say, well, that doesn't sound like a great positive message. That's why this book is negative. Why I think it's one of the most important books is that if you can understand everything is worthless, <laughs> hang in here for me with just a second, and that it's just a breath and it just comes and goes, then you can put everything and all your stock on the eternal. Sounds simple, but when the American church can grasp this, we won't hold on to anything. People will matter more than programs. Buildings will seem worthless compared to salvations that are out on the streets. Whatever the context is, whatever you're holding on to at your house, your family, can I just say, like, we really need to understand, we need to let some things go. 
And this is from Solomon, who was the wisest man of all time, who had wealth, who had women, who had everything you can think of. People came to visit. He had the fame of everything that people would long for. And he goes, by the way, I don't, I don't really need it. Like people are always longing for more. And that more is, it's the eternal. I haven't made it very far, Kevin, today. And in verse 3, it just says, what does a man gain? Look at this. For all of his efforts that he labors at under the sun. (laughs) That's not encouraging. Like, what's the profit? What's the gain if you bust your tail every single day at a factory in Indiana? What are you going to gain for this? In fact, he says in verse 4, he says a generation goes and a generation comes. In other words, you could talk about the generations of whether they're human, human folks or natural phenomenon folks. But either way, all of that stuff comes and goes, but only the earth will remain. And, and Solomon proves what the earth is. And so he says in verse five, he starts to give a list. He says, first of all, the sun rises and the sun sets panting and it returns to its place where it rises. So he says, OK, by the way, the sun is always there. People come and go. The sun is there in verse six. He says, gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, (laughs) goes the wind. I love that he threw in a couple turnings. And the wind returns to its cycles and and in cycles. In other words, the wind is is still there. The sun is still there. But guess what, people? Come and gone. Generations come and go. And by the way, just to prove it even more about the earth and descriptions, the sun and the wind. Then he gets into verse 7. He describes streams. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place and they flow there again. Kind of a cool picture uh, over and over again. Our lives come and go. I could say my job is the most important job of all time. And he'd say, (laughs) literally, you could say, you know, you're the president of the United States. Still comes and goes. You know, blockbuster video. (laughs) It came and went. (laughs) Can you just think of other companies? Like they were the best of the best, you guys. Stores. Uh, I mean, I just saw Lifeway Lifeway Christian stores. I think they shut down over 100 or I think it was 100 and some or 200 and some stores. All brick and mortar stores gone. Would you ever have thought that all of the Christian bookstores of these chains, I mean, we have Pastor uh, Gordy's wife, Denise, her store glow is still hanging in there in Shipshawana. Praise the Lord. Who would have ever predicted all of the other stores would have come and gone? Like, that's my point is like these things you would never have predicted. They're not there. Sears. Kmart's like they're struggling. Like I'm only giving you examples because in the heydays, those were really amazing stores. But the earth is still standing. And in fact, it says in verse eight, all things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. And here's the crazy part about verse eight. We could (laughs) I actually I actually asked the Lord if this is where you want me to hang out. He says the eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. You know what that that means? We're never satisfied. Like we always, always want more. Man, you go to Sweet Frog in Richardson, Texas. You get first some, you know, they give you a, a little pink bowl, a little green bowl, or like a little bigger bowl, right? And we have to tell our kids, you only get three toppings. Why? Because they'd put seven. 
or they'd put eight. Why? Because we always want more. Always. And once we've had it, we might be full for a little bit. I mean, I, I hope Pastor Fred talks about his addictions to Oreo cookies. But how much is too much? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> but isn't that the truth? You start a collection of something. And what do you do? You keep collecting. I had a collection of Smurfs, Kevin. Don't knock it. I had over 100 Smurfs. It's probably worth nothing. <laughs> but I had Smurfs on my glasses. Did you know that? I had on my glasses. <laughs> Here's my point. We always want more. You might get a bonus for $1,000 at your work and you're completely blown away and then you spend it in a month and you're like, I need more. Everything just comes and goes. And that's why you got to keep your eyes on the eternal. Verse nine says, what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. So if anybody ever tells you, I've got a new insight, that's just because they forgot it in the past. It's really the truth. He says there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing, nothing new under the sun. In fact, verse 10, can one say about anything? Look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before. There's no, nothing new. And verse 11 says there's no, there's no remembrance of those who came before. This is exactly what he's saying. We have forgotten. And of those who come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow me. Guess what? If, if, <laughs> if follow them. I'd love to say I have a legacy. That's, that's my prayer. Like when I'm done, I'm, I'd love to say a legacy. The reality is, is in 20, 30 years after I'm dead, maybe my family will only remember me. And here's the, here's the sad part. I don't even know who my great-grandfather is. I don't even know his name. My own blood, I don't even know my great-grandfather or my great-great-grandfather. So I can't even say my family would remember my name if I can't remember their name. There'll be no remembrance by those who follow them. It comes and it goes. Please keep your eyes on the eternal. Please keep your eyes on the eternal. I just want to read this in closing. He says in verse 12, uh, I, the teacher, this is Solomon, I've been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given me, God has given this people, has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. (laughs) I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and I found everything to be futile. What is he saying? He's proving his point again. Everything I have discovered doesn't mean anything. It's a pursuit of the wind. I got a great idea. Let's come up with this business idea. Great. That'll sustain you as long as you can do it to the glory of the Lord, but it's still not going to last. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Scripture continues on in verse 16. I said to myself, look, I've amassed wisdom for beyond all those who are over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. In other words, I've got some wisdom. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow as knowledge increases grief increases. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Here's what I have to say as we go home. (laughs) We're always searching. Every single one of us is searching. When you focus in life, can I just say under the sun, you'll find it meaningless, empty, 
and it's a breath. When you keep your eyes above the sun, if I can say it like that, and I say focused on the sun, S-O-N, in other words, on him, you will find complete fulfillment. The sun is eternal. Jesus brings and gives life. And that's really where we need to put our stock. 1 John 4.10, Kevin. 1 John 4.10 says this. Uh, you know what? Let's go to 1 John 5.11 for me, please. 1 John 5.11. It says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Remember in Ecclesiastes, he says we're all searching for eternity. It says God has given us eternal life. And by the way, this life is found in his Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. Have a great day, and I look forward to continuing this study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Thanks.